Ja men då så välkomna ska ni vara till krisledningspodden. Ett litet specialavsnitt idag som vi gör i samarbete med den andra podden som vi kör. Det vill säga Mostly Crisis Management Podcast. I vanlig god ordning sponsrat av Murphy Solution som erbjuder tekniskt stöd, teknisk support och konsulttjänster inom området krisledning såklart. Idag tänkte vi göra ett lite specialavsnitt som sagt. Vi kommer vara tre stycken i studion eller egentligen är vi bara två men vi har Craig med på länk också så att vi kommer att ha trepartsamtal med två gamla militärer. Faktiskt blir det en favorit i repris. Det är Jesper Bella Berlin som är tillbaka i studion igen och Craig Sumner som jag driver Mostly Crisis Management podcast tillsammans med. Så vi ska ha ett litet samtal och det kommer bli på engelska. Hoppas ni har överseende med det. Så varmt välkomna ska ni vara. Och eh, ja, jag tror att vi gör så att jag vill, skulle vilja starta med att höra Craig. Who are you for our Swedish listeners who haven't met you yet? Good morning from England. How are you? Morning. Just fine over here. Nice. And you? Good. Good morning. Doing okay. Doing okay. It's a bit cold this morning. Might be zero degrees for you Swedes. I know you <laughs> struggle with the cold sometimes. But uh, yeah, who am I? I am uh, Craig Sumner, uh, ex ex British Army. Uh, before moving to Sweden, I spent a decade, just over a decade, in the British Army uh, as an officer in the Royal Corps Signals. So communications was my thing. But uh Interestingly, for crisis management, that meant what we set up was the crisis crisis room in many respects. Yeah. Uh, and, and a little bit more. But before that, I was in adventure education. I have a background in running rivers and climbing stuff, I think. Great. Trying to. I think we will come back to your background during the whole episode yeah. today. But I was, uh, yeah, and we're colleagues now. So working together with a couple of colleagues. Yeah, a couple of interesting clients. Indeed. I'm now Swedish-based, of course. Yes, you are. we are working together. Yes. Not And today, though. No, not today. Not today. <laughs> On link today. But uh, welcome. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Uh, and looking forward to hear what, whatever experience you're going to share today. Thanks. Thanks. So let's say welcome to Jappe. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, my name is uh, Jesper Berlin. Uh, I have a background in the military in Sweden, 30 years, uh, 14 of these in uh, the Special Operations Unit. Uh, and uh, I got out two years ago, and now I'm running my uh, own company in uh, doing leadership training and uh, executive training. 30 years in the military. How many years did you have, Craig? 10? Just over 10, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, slight difference. <laughs> so you, you newcomer really in this man. I was, and I, I think I once got described as special. <laughs> about the closest I've made it. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing all the jokes now, <laughs> but okay, it's, it's okay. Uh, I mean, but great. Uh, I think it would be a really interesting combo to have like two uh, two militaries here today, and this is. Do you have a theme for what we're going to discuss today, Craig, or should I go for that? I'm not sure. I, I think the theme is probably uh, relatable experiences. And, and when we're building up our crisis teams, when we're looking at the teams, what 
what backgrounds do people have that actually you can transfer learning across. Yeah, that was the idea. Both of you with a military background now working on the other side, <laughs> perhaps you could say that. Uh, but still a really interesting question. What experience could we take from your from your background and transfer into a civilian context, so to speak? That would be kind of the theme today. Let's start with Jasper then. So a little bit more about your background. 30 years in the military. Yeah. Where did you start? Why did I? Yeah. And why? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We had a conscript system back then in Sweden, as we do now again, uh, with a long uh, period of uh, peace, global peace. Mm. So now, uh, when I did my conscript time, I, I enjoyed uh, the life in the military. Mm. It's uh, clear and crisp. You're told what to do and what not to do. And it's mm. never a question if what you're going to do, because yeah. it's always clear. So I liked it. So yeah. I, I stuck around. Started working in a, a security unit or a ranger unit with uh, dogs mostly. Yeah. And uh, and then I transferred over to to the special operations unit. Yeah. Uh, doing EUD or uh, clearing mines and bombs. And that's the same thing. It's very clear what to do or not to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the dogs as well. I think yeah, this yeah. is a golden thread uh, yeah. when it comes to it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, it it was a very calm period when you when you entered the military. It was yeah. in the middle of nineties, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, end of nineties. And I, I remember when uh, we were uh, on an exercise as a conscript, where we had the situation laid out before the exercise. It was uh, Russian troops massing up in Klaipeda Harbor. Mm. That's the opposite where they should uh, launch an assault from. Uh. And we were like. This could be real. Yeah. They could be massing right now. We don't know. Yeah. And uh, then uh, there was uh, decades of uh, knowing that there is no threat. No. But now we're there again. Yeah. So the circle is closing. Circle is closing. Our history repeats itself, yeah. perhaps. Uh, in a loop. There's a loop. Yeah. We talk a lot about loops. And Craig, what? Uh, yeah. what you've been in the military. What? What years are we talking about? When did you start? Yeah, so I, I went to, uh, I joined the military in 2012, but I was older. So yeah, maybe yeah. looking at the camera screen now and thinking, goodness me, the military's aged, Craig. But I went in at uh, 27, I joined the army after mm. a bit of a career. So, um, which I think there's there's a large scope of age groups. We didn't have conscription, unlike Sweden. Mm. Um, and that's an interesting, interesting debate as well. In Sweden was the only place I had to justify to people why I would even want to join the military, which is a very interesting, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I suppose cultural difference in that. You talk about this stability of peacetime, but the era that I joined, we were on the back of what were called the Troubles. Uh, we still had deployments to Northern Ireland. Mm. Uh, we still got steady deployments to the Falkland Islands, uh, and we were and we were deeply into uh, Afghanistan and Iraq at that time in the coalition stuff so i think that british take was very different mm. uh, and we had fingers in, in a lot of pies all around the world mm. so so in terms of that yeah that change of perception i think is, is slightly, mm. slightly was it the same was this the same uh, motivation to join the army easy crispy and totally clear what to do on daily basis 
No. No. <laughs> no. So what was it? Um, I, I certainly think that is a that is a motivation in many ways. Um, I I I think the motivation was I my background. If you ask anyone in the UK if they know someone in the military, yeah. uh, they'll always say yes. Generally, um, one or two family members, stuff like that. So so the motivation is is you know I know people in there. It's a good career. I get some good life skills and stuff like that. And I, I like looking back, actually, if I was younger, if I was 18, 19, uh, to not go the Sandhurst route would have been probably the route for me mm. um, based off <clears> the <throat> skills that you learn and that, you know, some of the skills that the junior soldiers can get before they launch in their, into their careers and then, and then subsequently retire and move into the civilian world are, are fantastic. Mm. So they're the motivation, skill sets, interesting careers, mm. people. Mm. And you've been with the Signals for your whole your career, right? That's correct. Yeah. So it's probably similar in the Swedish system. But I, I joined the Royal Corps of Signals. Um, and through that, you have several routes. But I spent the majority of my time in regimental duty, which is within the Royal Corps of Signals. But a couple of jobs I had outside of the Royal Corps of Signals. Mm. But, my, but my cat badge, as we call mm. it, and my... Mm. My grant has always been Royal Corps Signals, depending, regardless of the workplace that mm. you're in. Let's get back to that later and see what experience you actually received there that are applicable for the civilian society later on. But but uh, Jasper, then special forces. What's <laughs> what about that? <laughs> well, uh, I've always been a competitive type and. Um, it's like the the national team of the armed forces. Yeah, so, I can do it. <laughs> yeah, first it was uh, I didn't know much about it and was secretive. So mm. of course you're interested mm. because you don't know. No. Uh, and I wanted to be as best as, as I could be, mm. and uh, I figured out that that should be the place. That should be uh, the place, yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah. And it was. It was. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And sure. the, it, it was a couple of years spending you spent there. Yeah. And uh, you worked a lot uh, on the training site, right? Yeah, training site and uh, operational. Yeah, mm. both. Yeah, yeah. We met a couple of times on the training site, yeah, really, yeah. in our in our former careers. Yes, and a really deep interest of of exercises and training that stuff. Yeah, how you really develop competence. We have a lot had had a lot of discussions on that topic. Yeah, yeah. sure. Do. Yeah, great. So you both had a career within the military and this actually reaches our the theme that I want to discuss we read a book Craig we talked about it earlier in the podcast range by David Epstein it's uh, yeah we we will have royalties on that one now <laughs> because this is third time I think we mentioned this book <laughs> so if you hear this David bring it on but um, <laughs> yeah he talks about something, it's like deep transfer. It's a really interesting subject. Perhaps you could explain that, what it is, Craig, in a really clear way, better than I could maybe in English. Goodness. Uh, I can try. <laughs> That's... I can try without confusing everyone with the, I think as well, deep transfer is linked to data and computing. But I think we'll, we'll shelve that one and ignore it. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but it's essentially to say, from one experience, uh, to be able to take the meaning and experiences and input that into another situation and another area. 
um, change context of experience essentially um, is is a really good skill to have and mm. something when we're looking at at the di- diversity of teams or building teams something that you can really bring in mm. um, but but essentially is to bring experiences from one context to another mm. uh, easily mm. and let's first of all say and I could I can see that I've been working in this area last 10 years now you can see sometimes i hear from clients that don't bring me military here telling me what to do or not to do they don't understand our context have you ever heard that that uh, explanation yeah or that that uh, that uh, opinion yeah 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 <clears throat> i think yeah what are they af- what are they afraid of yeah, they think that uh, in my opinion is they people think that we are uh, well, square, uh, talk loud uh, and strict. Mm. And uh, it's interesting, and uh, we do a leadership training with CEOs and we put them out in the forest and uh, focus mainly on communication and uh, stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, we give them simple tasks to do. And uh, when we do an after action review on this, because that's part of the training, it's uh, often clear that they had different goals uh. They were done with, or different tasks even. Uh. And when we say that, uh, that's not good. That uh, the five of you have different tasks yeah. in the same task. Yeah. And they say, oh, but this is the way it is. It always is like this. Yeah. And then we try to transfer. But if you had a an, uh, five uh, W, uh, an order form, mm. which you can communicate with, mm. Then mm. it would be clear, mm. and if you repeat, mm. and at the end of the training, all of them say we should have one of those templates. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. It takes some time to convince. Yeah. But I, I will stay here a little bit because I think this is something that the the clash between the military and the civilian perspective, that, which it, yeah. I don't think, let's see with you, Craig, in Sweden, I think it's a little bit more controversial than it would be perhaps in the UK. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think I think there's a, there's a large spectrum of society that welcome veterans uh, into their employment because they see the benefit. But equally, I think there's a large arena of people that don't understand the benefit uh, of having veterans within their uh, within their employment mm. and I think I will echo a little bit that people think that if you're employing someone military that they're shouty that they are you know run fast shout loud that's the type of people they are whereas it's, actually but, the but some might be set, though <laughs> some might be and, and in places that's needed and I think maybe we can <laughs> we can address that later but but actually, it's what's behind the scenes that you don't see mm. is, okay, that in, in many ways, there's a mask uh, for a lot of the shouty people, especially in training environments. Mm. Yeah. But it's, there's, there's, there's a bunch of underlying skill sets mm. that if we, if we can show that, and it, there's a lot of good charities in the UK. I don't know if there are in Sweden. There's a lot of good charities like X-Forces or, uh, or whatever that help military get employment. But p- a big part of their job is to sell the why to the employers, mm. so I absolutely agree that there is there is a maybe a misconception about uh, what military can bring. But one thing I would say that military can bring is a structured process of working mm. and an ability to adapt into those structures very quickly mm. and understand the positives of them. 
Yeah, it's a little bit what you talked mm. about earlier, Jesper, as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we will make it too easy. I mean, how many people are in the military? Uh, if we, it's, it's too much of a stereotype saying I don't want the military here because there, of course there will be a lot of different personalities, a lot of different people and a lot of different skill sets as yeah. well. So I think we make it too easy to say a military cannot teach me or, or should be yeah. the one that is perfect because it depends on who is this person. Yeah, but I think it, it's... Uh People c- could have a, a trouble with uh, the charade that's in the military. We have this charade of how we talk to each other, mm. it, which is tradition and so on. Mm. Uh, and uh, they can't see past that because if you close the doors, I will go to the CEO and say, hey, hey, bro, mm. let's do this. Mm. But when we open the door, mm. we're public. And then I would say, Colonel, mm. may I uh, come with a suggestion? Yeah, completely agree. Uh, so I think I think there's a there's a time and a place for especially being British for our pomp and ceremony. Yeah. I, and if you look at the history of it and the reason we do drill, for example, it instills that discipline, the, you know, that one mind, the one thinking, the the ability to follow command and, and kind of anticipate the command. Although the drill instructors will always shout, "Don't anticipate the command," but the whole time we're anticipating mm. the next thing coming. Mm. Um, but I, but yeah, I. Not sure where I was going with this, no. but that charade thing is a professionalism because let's let's take that into another context here. Me and you, Matt, when we were working with one client, for example, we're in the car, we can have a bit of banter and chat, but as soon as we're in that room with a the client, there's the structure of command, if you like, There's we've each got our roles to take, mm. and we both focused on those areas. So suddenly that professional mask is on, and we can switch in and out of that very quickly. Mm. And at the same time, we can switch out of that quickly if we understand that the client doesn't want that mm. really traditional consultancy face in front of me. That flexibility to adapt how we were and get are and get things done is really valuable because mm. uh, you change your professional guise without changing your underlying intentions and skill set. Mm. Yes, of course. And, and if, if we look at it closer, we can see this... No, I shouldn't say charades. I, I don't think charades is the best word, perhaps, <laughs> uh, because I think there's an underlying idea of why you have that. I think it's built up on a, um, on a, on a, on a really interesting idea and, and important knowledge that in certain situations, it's really important to know your rank or your where you are in the organization and that perhaps develops to charades sometimes, right? Yeah, uh, but I think everybody, yeah, it's charades in a positive way mm. because uh, everybody in the military enjoys it. I know my place and I know how to speak in a certain mm. way mm. Uh, in a certain time. Yes, and, and, uh, and, and. And it is traditions. It's based on, we know why we do it and it's not the main thing to call each other by uh, rank. No. But we do it because we fit in a big, larger organization where we understand that I'm just a big, a small puzzle. Very important at some times, but I'm just a small mm. piece of the puzzle. Mm. And something we know for sure, if we look at the civilian society, might be a problem sometimes because we don't know our mandate. Yeah. We don't know exactly where we are in the organization. When, when times get a little yeah. bit tougher and the decision has to be a little bit quicker, it's sometimes hard to understand who am I and what's yeah. my responsibilities and, and my mandate. And Sometimes, as I've learned, right? there are charades also in the civilian life. 
in if you come to a tech company, they have their charade mm, and exactly. uh, traditions, and mm. b- which I don't understand. <laughs> Probably yeah, right. not. So, so it's the I, same I, in all companies. It is. I think I think there's a respect piece as well, and I think one thing I've noticed. Uh, I, I spent some time when I was in the military working for a for a for a government department, and they were the same. They, although they've got rank structures built into it. So one thing for me in the military is very important is to respect someone's rank um, and their and their skill set. So in the Royal Corps of Signals, for example, you have people who are yeoman, foreman, or foreman of signals, and um, foreman foreman IS, for example. So there's, there's these there's these additional ranks within a rank, and that's their specialisms. And they've what what I think one thing the military is good at, and you were right, we do enjoy that kind of charade or whatever we're calling it. Is but importantly, underlying that is, if I'm looking at someone who's done 25 years and has gained themselves as a specialist in this place, then it's then it's a mark of respect that not owning that rank or that title. Um, and I think that can be missing in the civilian world in many ways when we're in that first name terms without the without that charade to get there suddenly i'm chatting to we've retired steve so i won't use steve but suddenly we're, we're chatting to someone called andrew or whatever mm. or or we've got susan but how have they got there it doesn't mark their journey by the first name doesn't mark their journey into their position as vd or ceo mm. and we kind of lose that res- respect structure in many ways mm. Mm. good good uh, comment uh but uh... So if we if we skip this part of the, the um, uh, description of the differences between military and the civilian society, what if we look at these skills that we are talking about, um, what skill sets and what what the competence could you really transfer from? I mean, this is a big question, of course. There's a lot of things, I guess. But what, what are the most important things that you would say, okay, this is really relevant stuff that I could bring from my military career into uh, what I do now? You work with leadership, you say. Uh, uh, so what are, why are you good at it? Because you've been working in the military. I think the... The things that uh, stand out is that uh, in, in the military we have the, the common purpose of what we do. And mm. everybody, we are very determined to get everybody from the highest to the lowest to understand what's the objective we're reaching. Mm. And then we work towards the objective mm. to get there. And uh, we are in the, in the process of uh, reaching the objective. We are... Uh, good at uh, using all the skills of a team. So at one time in this objective, we can let the, the medic be in charge because mm. he's the best suited for this event mm. uh, because we all work towards a common purpose. Mm. And I think that's a, a good thing. Mm. You agree, Craig? Is that a, does that put the finger on what, what the military really do well? I think understanding that common purpose or intent um, is is a key element to to the military. Um, in that we, I, I, I do have a bit of a story, but I'll add it in a minute. Um, I was thinking about conflict and priorities and how in the military we can, well, you bring in the skill set that understands that 
my ego or my priority aren't necessarily top of mind here and I need to flex and adapt to what is the main effort. If, if I'm not the main effort, then that's okay because I'm still part of the picture here. Mm. And, and that's something, we, that flexibility to to realign and I think things like, that I've said. I'm part of a bigger thing and my, my own interest in this might stand back a little bit for the higher purpose. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. But About being, reprioritization and knowing it. Yeah, okay. But be, to, to, to um, challenge you then, I would say, okay, but that's, you, you have such a great uh, context to work in. It is really clear. If we look at like, I'm with the military, it's very clear what to do in a, let's say a large organization with a, with a lot of strings on their guitars. It's so many things. It's sometimes hard perhaps to put that into a, a purpose and make those common objectives. Gonna uh, yeah, 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 of course you're gonna disagree. That's why I provoked you. <laughs> of course. Uh, uh, the, I, I, but, but how do you answer go on. I, that? I think that thought thing. I think the misconception is that the military is clear. We work in ambiguity, and what we're good at is creating calm and and direction and um, and clarity out of chaos. That's what the military is there to do. So it feels calm and chaotic. No, it feels calm, sorry, but that's formed out of good process, good discipline, and a way to get there, and a practiced and a practiced methodology to achieve those those that clarity of thought. Mm. If we're in an organization that feels chaotic and can't prioritize, they're missing the process to get there. Mm. And that's what the, the military brings that clarity through mm. a well-drilled and well-oiled machine. Mm. But in many respects, if it's built purely purely to create calm from chaos as opposed to deliver a financial reward at the end of it, um, you, might, you might differ in terms of is that important for a civilian organization. Mm. You agree? Totally, because I, I think uh, what the military does good is uh, to to break down the objective. So the objective isn't uh, to, if I uh, go to the corporate world, to make a lot of money. Increase shareholder value. Yeah, <laughs> but if you break it down, it, it could be sell more phones or what it is. Mm. And then that's the focus. Mm. But, but when you you shift your focus from improvement goals to to result goals mm. the result will always take over and as soon as you set a result goal will how much how many mm. uh, the road to the goal will mm. disappear and you will only focus on the goal mm. uh, instead maybe you should uh, analyze what what's the real difference here mm. to break it down mm. and in a in a big organization in the military we break the, the big goal down mm. we should uh, free Sweden, but mm. second platoon isn't <laughs> going to free Sweden. No. They're going to hold the bridge. That's yeah. their objective. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's the same in company. Mm. As a warehouse employee in Volvo, you can't make all your cars uh, electric, no. but you could have the best warehouse yeah, in the world. Yeah, indeed. So that's that's one thing you both learn. And how do you do that then? It sounds very simple explaining it like this. Why isn't this happening then? You were you were onto this uh, objectives and re- uh, the result, but, but are there other things? Are the are leaders good at 
focusing on objectives is there's that kind of stuff that doesn't work that you would say when we talk about leaders aiming for objectives i think there's one thing we fully understand and what is transferable and brilliant to bring across and we're not i'm not saying civilians don't get this because they do mm. but it's when you have a micromanagement culture is to do with a corporate culture if you can bring in a corporate culture that understands the we can call it objectives or we can call it goals or whatever you want to you know have different different scopes it comes from the team not from an individual mind so i i don't know the the swedish way of doing things but i imagine it's built very similar doctrines built together uh, a lot of uh, regardless of membership in NATO or whatever, there's, you know, there's a lot of collaboration in many in many ways. So mm. the the plan is built by a team, and actually the outcomes, in many respects, are delivered by the team to say this is where we should be focusing on. This is what we should be focusing on. Much like crisis management, if the decision makers there to make a decision, they're a one man team. It doesn't matter, but they're to make an informed decision, and the route that route that an organization is going to take is based upon the information that's been fed to that person mm. to make an informed decision, mm. not for that person to make a decision and then the others to enact it. Mm. There's, a, there's a shift change mm. there. And I think the successful organizations do that. Exactly. Tesla, for example. Yeah. All right. It's one man's vision, but actually they've got a really open structure. Um, about how they how they develop things and they kind of test and adjust and try and and I know I'm, I've taken a lot of airtime here but the second part of it is putting into plans that don't get used and understanding okay I've, I'm throwing a lot of money and time at this yes I might spend two weeks planning something or a full planning process for an operation that doesn't happen mm. but it's doesn't matter because I've learned a lot getting there and actually if I can share that information and I can build my skill sets I've achieved a lot more than maybe I would have by launching this operation mm. uh, in the first place and I think we need to be comfortable with putting effort into areas that don't necessarily give us a financial or increase the stock value or whatever the terminology is mm. and you usually talk also if we if we take this word objectives or goals, but you you do really want to talk about intentions, right? And perhaps you recognize that word as well, yep. Yeah. Uh, what's the <clears throat> difference between a super clear goal and an intention then? Okay, so a super clear goal would is what I, I would clarify as sitting underneath my intention. Your intention's quite big, but it can also be really driven in depending on the size of what you're working on or your level of organization. But I would say that your intention is the overall and a bunch of goals make that up. Mm. Mm. And that's absolutely something I think, at least from my point of view, comes from the military. To, to be, You have a Swedish expression at least, act in... Uh, Chefens anda, the spirit of the <laughs> the spirit of the commander, perhaps, uh, if we take that in a military way. But that's a really interesting way of working, right? Would you agree, Jeppe? Because I think that's something you recognize. Yeah. Uh, when I do a clear a terrorist bomb or an IED, I always start with 
uh, finding out the end state, how does it look when I'm done? Because that will tell me a bunch of things that I need to do or that I can skip. Mm. Uh, and the, the end state or the intent is to know that, yeah, well, the thing we're going to pass this, that's what the boss wants us to do. We're mm. going to pass this IED. Mm. So mm. could I find another route? It's instead really of, up to you, right? Yeah, instead of cle- clearing. Yeah, it could be. Or he could say that you, you need to take it away. But my yeah, first yeah. thing b- would be, okay, wh- what, what's the, the intent of this? Is it mm. to stay here and clear the mine? Mm. Or is it to, to go to the village mm. to, to do some other stuff? Mm. S- to remember the end state and mm. focus on the end state all the time. Because uh, in, the po- in the process, you, you could come up with things that's unnecessary. Mm. Because of the end state. Mm. Well, if I'm going to blow this main charge at the end of the day, well, I, I don't need to do a lot of steps before it. I could just start with blowing it up mm. and then I'm done. Mm. Yeah, and I think this intention also helps us to avoid too detailed instructions. That's that's another way to put it, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's something what I can see if we we are struggling with sometimes when it comes to crisis management we sometimes i see decision makers uh, that that do want to be the one that understands everything and and like you said cray formulates the goal before having all the inputs to do it then an intention is usually enough no one knows exactly what to do we have to trust the organization by just telling our intention and then let the organization work. And and I think uh, one thing that's common in uh, in uh, special operations and or in uh, where you have uh, people that wants to do good, you have the the mission creep where you have this intent or objective. But my little part, because I'm so ambitious, it Mm. takes over. Mm. Uh, and if I'm, uh, if there's a, a weak leader or an unfocused leader, he will uh, shift the focus, like mm. in a crisis situation, to fill out the, cri- the, the, the board. Mm. That's really important. Mm. Uh, so everybody focuses on the right thing on the board. Mm. Did you write the thing? And then we forget to focus on the crisis. Mm. Mm. So you the mission creep. Yeah. yeah, you recognize that one, Craig? Uh, Mission creep, hundred percent. Same words, same terminology, and it is that, and it is that. It, it goes back to not understanding fully the intent and my part in it. So it needs to be clearly defined, yeah. And you need to know what you're working towards. But at sometimes doing nothing is the best thing. So, you know, being comfortable supporting someone else outside of my skill set um, might be the most important thing for that time. And and in many ways, that leadership is important to say, no, actually, you're not part of this team. I think Mm. that another relatable part there, if we look at crisis management teams, is we always think we need this person, that person, that person, and that person. We bring in all 10 people, for example, if I've got a team of 10. But it should never be 10 unless you have a a five and five vote. You always need that one extra person. But Mm. um, you've got that. Yeah, it's exactly that. It stops that mission creep if you say don't have those people in the room or you don't have the culture that supports it. Mm. Be aware of mission creep. Yeah, or, be aware, um, indeed. Or pursuit, or pursuit of excellence, whatever whatever yeah. the, the, the word is, I agree. And, and yeah. as a leader, stop the mission creepers, the yeah. person that will become this. Tell yeah. him that, yeah, you're fine. Don't worry about the board. 
yeah. focus on this now. We need yeah. you on this. Yeah. And that's a, a really important skill set yeah. of a leader to, yeah, to stop the mission creepers. You have a really good uh, TED talk on that, uh, I mm. know for sure. So if anyone interested <laughs> to hear you describe <laughs> these mission creepers <laughs> even more, you got this TED, you, you, have, to, you have to Google it down. Yeah. then. It's a really good one, really. Uh, and that's an important part. But I'm coming back to this in- intention. Uh, um, I think sometimes we're struggling with to actually set clear intentions. And that's something I think for sure it's, it's done in a really good way sometimes within the military and also the police where I come from. There's no exact form of how to do it. But if I... The best leaders I've had when when I've been into into a situation comparable to crisis management, I would say I have always understood what what the intention of this leader was. And sometimes they just speak it out. They do a good speech. They write it on paper. They have some way to actually express their intentions and show me that this is important to us. And it helps me a lot when I need to work on my specific tasks. I think they'll, they'll use common terminology. So one thing, there's two, if people are struggling to create an intention or, a, or a, we'll call it a mission or whatever, um, is OOEA, a pyramid. And I don't know if this will sound familiar, but certainly we work in effects and tasks. So an effect is something, you know, you want to achieve over an objective. Um, and the task is how I'm going to get there. But an OOEA is in a pyramid form, outcome, objectives, effects, action. And if you were to visualize it in a pyramid, you can actually see the big picture here and how you can't micromanage and how actions fall out from the effects and the effects fall out of the um, ob- objectives mm. and your outcome is your intent. But... Um, Long story short, I think the way of phrasing it is you want to have a task verb um, and somewhere in there, but you want to have an effect. The effect is what we understand. Tasks are not necessarily something we understand because I don't have the skill set to do it. But if you give me an effect, say I want you to, I don't know, dry. I want you to dry these jackets. These jackets should be dry. That's pretty clear. The jacket needs to be dry because I've been out in the rain. How I dry it, I don't know completely up to me completely up to the person that mm. does it mm. the, how bad was that example i'm just thinking because it's raining but uh, ah, you, you can know. you ah, can lift it up yeah. you can lift it up to the next level that could be make sure our people have good conditions to do their next task and then the when, when you break that down into the organization it becomes like next level of commands like okay we need to dry this so a next level of command is like okay that there's someone dealing with the, with the, with our clothes and there are other things as well so from this like intention on the more strategic levels make people ready for tomorrow it breaks down into more specific tasks but still with intentions yeah and as a leader, I would remind the organization what, what is the objective or the task at hand if we're uh, smaller. Because in every task, there's implied tasks. Mm. Yeah, yeah. You, you need to, to write this down on a computer. Okay, so first I need to get the computer. Uh, otherwise, I can't fulfill my task. Mm. But mm. It, is, it is never my task. Mm. And you need to uh, remind the organization what is the task. Mm. It's to dry the jacket, not to 
to get a hanger or put it in the dry uh, shed or anything. It's no. to dry yeah. the jacket. Mm. Mm. Other, all other things are implied tasks. Mm. Really important, but never the task. Mm. Correct. Correct. Good. That's some good stuff we've been talking about. And uh, as you said, and I think it's important to emphasize here, it's not like, okay, military is good at this and the civilian society sucks. (laughs) uh, So I will now change the question and ask you to what you learned from the civilian society. You had your military way of looking at things. But what could you learn when you... Hey, of course, Craig, you were 27 when you started. You had some stuff already. But what can military learn from the civilian society, would you say? Uh, I think I think there's a lot we can learn about um, hubris, maybe, or being humble um, in many ways. Because, yes, there is, we, without realizing, you kind of have a cult mentality and you're indoctrinated. In many respects, and, and within the military, we think we—not necessarily. You know, I use the royal we, uh, but there's there is an assumption of, oh, okay, well, I'm an officer in in some in some parts of the ranks. I I deserve respect, but actually, rank agnostic. Get rid of the rank structure. We spoke earlier about the rank structure was good, but get that out of your head very quickly because everyone's got a voice at the table. And in now, I I can't talk for the other cat badges or other militaries. But I think in my cat badge, we're very good at letting people have a voice. Mm. But it still falls back into, okay, you're the boss, kind of in many ways. What we can learn from the civilian sector is that is that collaborative piece. Mm. Um, and, and people aren't afraid to talk as well. So you might be pushing back a voice due, through rank, but suddenly in the civilian sector, you find someone who you're thinking, why on earth are they speaking? And they just blow you away with what they have to say because mm. they've got the confidence mm. and the psychological safety to speak up. Mm. You agree? Yeah, I would agree. Uh, the the military paradox where you always, when you're in doubt, you ask up mm. as if the Supreme Commander is the best one to assemble a machine gun, mm-hmm. but he isn't. But but somewhere in, in the process, we, we always ask up. Mm. And we have a problem asking down because it's a hierarchy. So, mm. uh, and in uh, that's uh, how complex it is in the civilian world. Uh, maybe it is that in the military, but when I'm a, I've been on a really low position all my life, so maybe it is. Mm. But uh, it's complex, it's fast, and uh, they're good at listening to the whole organization. That's mm. uh, what I think. Mm. Yeah, that's 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 a good. I I uh, even though the police where I come from are perhaps yeah, but working closely sometimes with the military. Not that much in Sweden though, but but uh, still have like a similar structure, and there are similarities, of course. Uh, even though we were quite close when I was working in Afghanistan, for example, I would say there was. You, you, you mentioned it in the beginning now, a, a lack of being humble. <laughs> but I don't know. That's my own experience. But uh, I had some hard times sometimes to actually cooperate with the military because it was like, we got our way of doing stuff, especially when it came to the Americans, I would say. Sorry for that. But, but uh, 
when I look at like a commune in Sweden, mm. they're just really good at making good conditions to cooperate. Yeah. And that I didn't feel sometimes in Afghanistan. I know, don't know if I had bad experience, but that was something I'd say. These people really need to learn how to cooperate. Do you have you? Yeah, you. you yeah, I think it's uh, there's two uh, militaries always. There's the wartime military and there's the peacetime. And the wartime military is my uh, experience. It's very flexible. Look at the task ahead. Uh, don't think much about uh, how we used to do it or uh, we always do like this or uh, because it's the objective but as soon as we go go home we fall back into this it doesn't really matter mm. <laughs> because we have all the time in the world mm. and uh, in the corporate world they're uh, in the wartime all the time so mm. they need to make changes mm. quick mm. or in the commune mm. something needs to happen now mm. that's that is a good thing yeah indeed And that was a good way to express it. Do you agree, Craig? Would you say that there's a difference of military in peacetime and wartime? There 100% is. Um, and it is a, it is a mind, mind shift. But it's not just that. You're on an operational cycle. You're training to get there. And when you're training, you're training flexibility. You're training specific things, task-specific. Um, or you're, as soon as you're back and you don't have that final area, it's a bit more airy-fairy. You're a bit kind of floating around trying to do things. This is when you're trying to cram stuff in. And you, weirdly, there's never enough time Yeah. <laughs> when you don't have the focus. But when you have enough, but you always have enough time when you've got, this is where I'm aiming for. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, yeah, I think there's two fittings. One is, yeah, you're kind of floating around. What are we doing? Mm-hmm. You're always doing something, though. And I like, but yeah, I, uh, I, maybe this links into the, uh, links into that, a humble piece, I guess. But when, when you're, you know, operationally, you're very driven to achieve things and arguably someone else coming in and saying, oh, what about this? I would say you're more collaborative when you are working in a coalition than when you're sat back in barracks by yourself. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So maybe it was the individuals you came across. Yeah, it might have been. It might have been. And this is, of course, a cultural matter. But I think uh, we're on to something here. And I think it's really interesting. Uh, Perhaps it also comes back to what you said in the beginning, Jesper. Because I think you should look at the military in different ways as well. Uh, This is at least my way of expressing it. In the beginning, we have like a very strict system. You said you liked it. Okay, there are routines, there are things. This is the military way. This is how we do it. So there's a certain skill set that we we need to achieve before starting to collaborate and, and being more flexible. So that's a very typical way of doing it. I don't know if it's that way today, but that was at least the way I was uh, trained to do it. So first of all, I... I am told exactly how to do stuff, to set the basic fundament of me as a soldier or whatever it is. Then, when I got that skill set, then I'm allowed to more freely start to collaborate on how to do things. And perhaps sometimes that kind of way of leading follows too long uh, in my career or I stay to it. I think the strict thing that's 
in the beginning of the military when you teach someone something. Yeah, that's is, absolutely teaching, right? Yeah, it's, this it, is it, the way to do it. Yeah, this is how you put your thing uh, socks in your locker. Mm. Uh, and if you're smiley, uh, smiley socks, yeah, <laughs> yeah smile socks, yeah. And if you don't, <laughs> if you're not aware, this will continue as the the truth. But in in old way, it's because you forget why do you do this. Mm. And that should be in all training. Mm. Why do we have a crisis board? Mm. Uh, it's mm. not the crisis board itself, no. or it's not the way to put the socks in. And uh, in a bad organization, military, police, or corporate, you you get stuck with that. The, you should do it this way. Yeah, instead but you of don't understand why. No, you don't understand why. And uh, and uh, in training or in uh, assessment, you focus on is it happy socks mm. instead of. Do you have all your socks mm. or do you need this many socks because you were issued this many socks mm. doesn't mean you need them. Mm. Mm. So the why? Mm. The why question. Got a, got a story about socks Yeah. Um, and, and a sleeping mat. So, so uh, the person who re- will remain nameless uh, misplaced their Bergen on, on, uh, on luckily an exercise, but um, and the bag is like a rucksack. It's, it's, yeah, it's your large backpack yeah. will go without your rucksack. Yeah, I'm allowed to say it now. Backpack. Yeah. Um, and someone who will remain nameless again uh, went sick. So there were two people: one who forgot their backpack, and one person was sick. Just to clarify, I wasn't sick, but um, got into the field as it were, and then set up in what we call a hasty harbour. And all you needed was a roll mat, and you kind of sleep with your bergen next to you and your rifle. But this Bergen wasn't there essentially on on when we when we walked out. Mm. But you know, this individual knew they could pick up any other Bergen from that place, uh, and they would be able to sustain themselves for an evening out on the field. Mm. Mm. Um, and that's what happened. Mm. They were able to put their socks on because they knew where they were. They were able to have a roll mat because yeah. they knew where it was. They had a sleeping bag in the correct place. They yeah. had the rations in the same place. Yeah. But the one thing they had on them, which everyone has on them, is their belt kit. And that's your personal 24-hour ration pack. If anything, you survive with just that, your belt kit. But it's not as comfortable. But being able just to pick up that Bergen was the why. To say, they, if they've packed it the way they should have packed it, I can sustain myself off that. And then it goes also into where's, where's the medic finding the insulin or where's the medic finding the bandages in this individual instead mm. of using up the centralized kit. I'll use it on you, for example. All those things are the why, and that's why we drill it in many respects. And um, yeah, and I, and I, it's a good story because that I could see sometimes we should do more of. There's a lot of things that are not looking good to do when you're you're an employee. Okay, you should do do as you want and whatever. But this is really setting the fundament to actually get like a, a bigger wheel to move. This is, there are certain routines. There are a lot of stuff that could be made. We talked about pre-made decisions in an in a episode earlier, but there's a lot of things that could be done to prepare, to be really focused, to, to be able to solve a lot of com- complicated problems if we have done stuff in advance. And that, I think, is a really good thing that you can learn from the military. Yeah. There's nothing ugly. This is good stuff. It might sound strange sometimes to do these drills and do, yeah. do everyone should do the same. But this, when shit hits the fan, 
it's great yeah. to have those routines in place. Yeah, I, Look, spec- I inspected my uh, team's backpacks every month to see that they were packed the way we uh, agreed on. Yeah, and uh, and this was seasoned operators with, yeah, yeah. many many years of experience. And, and that could be a yeah. symbol yeah. to like, okay, is my crisis management room prepared? Do we have the latest plans in the folders? Yeah. Are the phones still working? But that kind of routines I don't see that much of in, uh, no. in at least in some some. It's just yeah, it's working. But then yeah. when you when you open the folder, it's a crisis plan from ten years old or whatever. Yeah. There's a lot of routines that actually could help out when you're in that kind of situation. I think I think there's a lot of effort as well gone into um, like templates. If you, if you look mm. at a lot of companies, they've got a set template. And, and what, one thing I see is they spend a lot of time making it brand aware to them, but actually functionally, is it the same across everybody? So it might need their logo, their specific text, um, everything that, which is super important because that's part of your product. Mm. But the structure needs to be workable, usable, and efficient and and relatable to every single area of that department. So your crisis plans need to look the same. They need to read the same. When you're getting information, it needs to look the same. It mm. needs to read the same. That that familiarity just gets rid of the simple problem straight away. Mm. We're done. Mm. And I and I think you're right. We we do see a lot of people putting effort into branding, but they forget the why. Maybe mm. as to well, actually, it simplifies the whole process. When you pick up this piece of paper, mm. you know what you're looking at. When you're writing this piece of paper, you don't have to worry about, do I tab here? Is the tab two centimeters, 1.75? It's done. It's set up. You don't have to worry about that. No. Just go for it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's uh, like the, the, the old principle of uniformity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> go to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it, it, it creates a calm because you know everything and you don't have to take all these small decisions in no. order to make the decision. No. No, and that becomes a lot of problems if you don't know when it takes time to, okay, where's the socks, whatever. Work with it as a metaphor for things that you can do in advance in order to be prepared and create effectiveness. Focus on the right things, right? It's like in the military, we call it SOPs, Standard Operational Procedures. You could translate that to to the the first decision of the the first point of deviation mm. because if i don't know anything i just follow the sops mm. and as soon as i get more intel mm. i can start de- deviate mm. from the sops because mm. we get into this specific yeah. task mm. playbook crisis playbook crisis portfolio yeah and the importance of that to be kind of simple easy to adapt and 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 also known in advance so a really important part of it. I would say you have to know it's there. Yeah, of yeah. course. In advance, not yeah. necessarily know how. No, how not no. Yeah, might be up for it debate. Helps. Yeah, it helps. But I, but I think if if you're looking at worst case scenario, what do we need? We need mm. someone to be able to pick this up and follow it. Yeah, yeah, I agree, 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 absolutely. Not ideal. But. Absolutely. Uh, had you prepared a lot of things that you would like to really talk about when it comes to this matter? Or have we, I think we just touched upon one or two subjects. I guess there are more when it comes to like decision making, etc. I haven't, I haven't prepared anything, but it is 
roughly related to decision making. I thought about it last night. Mm. Is now you, you might you might be able to relate to this, but it's about the team, and I think we always struggle with <clears> creating our team and understanding our impact. And it, it looks at generalists versus specialists as well. And I think the ideal world, what we want, is you know a specialist for each job. Uh, in many ways, and then a generalist kind of leader to bring it all together. But we can't achieve that, uh, ideally, um, mm. through funding and time, generally. Mm. Um, and your your crisis team, you might be a really small organization that only have five people, or you might be a large organization that can only dedicate 10 people, mm. regardless of if you've got 30,000 people in the organization, for example, right? Mm. And, and the way I can relate this is, if if, I, if we were looking at a I'll call it a project plan, but an operational deployment. And there was a plane that had 20 seats. And I wasn't a commander of that plane. I wasn't a commander, but I had a team of signalers. I could fill up 10 of those seats quite easily with an electrician, with me, with a sergeant, with a staff sergeant, with uh, an engineer, with two operators, an electronic warfare operator, and maybe I'll put an intelligence analyst in there. I need someone to do some cabling. And then I think I need to, you know, I'll, I'll throw another electrician in in case there's plugs. And suddenly I filled up 10 seats on a plane that only has 20 seats. Mm. And that mission then is getting impacted by my inability to flex across different subject matters. And, you know, being humble, do they need the officer? Maybe not. Maybe I should step back. Maybe the best place for me is back in the camp, organizing for their return, ordered, organizing the administration and liaising directly face-to-face -face with the commander, mm. for example. Okay, so now I've got nine seats. All right, what about the next one? Do I need that middle manager? I probably do need that person on the ground who's empowered to make decisions, but do I need the electricians? You know, look at what I'm likely to come across. Mm. Boom, boom, boom. Suddenly I've got three people on that plane, which gives the commander the ability to put 17 or whatever people onto that plane as he sees fit. Mm. So I've pulled back my requirement by delivering into the field the effect but not the, res re not the re resource uh, pull, if that makes sense. And then it, equally, I've then got redundancy in the team uh, for, for everything else. So that's something I think is when we think about, short, short back to that, man, when we're thinking about a crisis team, what is the effect we want to have as opposed to who do I want in my team? Mm. That's an interesting, uh, and I think we talked about it a little bit earlier, it's also to be able to, step back for the higher purpose could that also be a parallel to what you actually said i think so but it's but it's also intelligently managing your resources mm. Mm. is we want to throw everything at it but where's your redundancy mm. We, mm. you know resilience we got resilience by giving people slightly bigger skill sets mm. or do we then try and build a generalist team for example mm. and, that, and that builds into our whole training cycle of how we get there but i think if we start to really think about the situations we're facing, we can start to adapt our team. Now, interesting to hear your take on this, yeah, mm. but that, that idea of, you know, the team could be 10 people, or is it best achieved by two? Mm. I think when I did the airborne radio training, you, you carry your uh, whole world on your back, mm. and you need to focus on wh what to bring. And uh, we were told... Uh, that uh, if you're thinking about this piece of kit or that piece of kit to solve the mission, you don't need any of them. Mm. And I think it's the same with the team. Mm. When you start to fill up with, should I have an extra electrician? Mm. Or maybe you don't need it. Mm. Because the things you need is the things you say first. Mm. This is what, mm. uh, what need to go. Mm. 
but I, I think it's uh, natural to, to start to add things as soon as there's a problem instead of taking away. Mm. Maybe a crisis team is more mm. uh, effective in three mm. than in five. Mm. Completely agree. Completely agree. And but, but you always start with adding. Yeah. There's a problem. We need to add something. Yeah. A, a mentor I had when it came to like management, he said to me, what we usually do in the beginning of a big event is to add resources. Yeah. But if you look at a crossing mm-hmm. and you put all the stuff into the crossing, you will make more problems and actually create possibilities to get away from the crossing. So you add ambulances, you add mm. fire department, you add police, and you just push all the resources into the middle. You will not have a clear way to actually exit from that from that place. Yeah. So that that's a really good point. And I think a really good exercise you can do is sometimes to see how much can we achieve with as few resources as possible? And you will probably be um, struck by how, how it helps to, to take fewer than, than more resources. We did that in training with uh, clearing bombs. Uh, we took away tools. You know, you have your favorite mm. scissors. Yeah, and the Leatherman. And yeah, the, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So we always started uh, with a full backpack. Mm. And then uh, when the guy would take out his favorite scissors, we said, you can't use that one. No. Uh, no. Okay, I need to use the Leatherman. Okay, you can't use that either. No. no. Uh, of course, with the, the, the mission would, the task or the training would be worse mm. than it would, should have been. But mm. then we uh, got used to not having our favorite things. And mm. at the end of the month, when we uh, went through the backpacks, we could say that, well, we'll ditch these two because we never use them. No. Because this tool makes this, yeah. makes all, all of it. That's that's really, really interesting. I get a parallel now to when I was like head of training and we got the recruits. I think I perhaps told the story before, but we usually, st- when I started, I got like a room with equipment. It was like 200 pieces of just clothing and whatever. So, but we, that kind of, focused on the wrong things so later on in my career we started with it with the basic training for our police officers we said okay let's just give them uh, a radio a gun and a bulletproof vest and they will do the first three months with only that equipment which is less than ordinary police have because that's mm. what you mm. need and the, the most important thing you got is your brain. Yeah. So we need to start to get your brain functioning well in stress situation. That's the most important thing we can do. Then we will add equipment. But that's just the small, it doesn't do that big difference. It just usually confuses our, our ability to focus on the right things. Yeah. You agree? Yeah, totally, totally. It started like with a plane. It started with a plane with... Uh, 20 seats. <laughs> did, what did we <laughs> end up 20 with? 20 seats. We ended up with uh, a gun, a bulletproof vest, and a cup of tea. Yeah. But, um, I mean, that's something I, I, in training, I got in trouble with because there's no point having a practice grenade. Uh, so I would fill up my pocket with a, an extra flask of tea. Um, I got found out. But for me, that was the basic requirement, a basic kit that I needed. Uh, cup I of should, tea because it makes my brain function. I should keep that in mind. Though. Yeah, it was, I was spin <laughs> off on that because we had a, a training where we carried these practice grenades. 
and uh, we had the training set up where we could throw uh, practice grenades. Mm. But nobody did it because we weren't used to having the grenade because you can't throw it. Mm. So we, we realized that we have a lot of kit on us uh, that we're not used to use. So mm. we don't have it in our uh, toolbox mm. when something happens. So y- you need to have the full option mm. in the crisis room and be able to use it. Exactly. Otherwise you could take it away. Because you will you're probably not- never use no. it, right? <laughs> no, that's true. We have a lot of material now for this podcast. Um, I would say to end this, I would say, what's your biggest take of what we discussed today? What do you say? We got one each. So for me, is for all the uh, you know employers out there or crisis managers who don't have a background in military, don't be afraid of the military because it's complementary to uh, your crisis team. Uh, and having that having that structure and someone who's able to integrate quickly into a team who's proven under stress is more complementary than being afraid of ex-military um, is something I've got there. Mm. But um, yeah, and also resource light, keep things simple. Mm. Keep things um, simple. Because that, yeah, that's the success of the military is actually simplifies the chaos. It mm. doesn't create more confusion. Thanks, Craig. Good, uh, good summary. Yep, then. Well, to, s- to set up clear objectives and remind the organization of the objective at mm. all times so you don't swoop away to do other things. And I think that's a, a big one. And to communicate this throughout uh, the whole uh, uh, organization. Mm. In the military, you're uh, trained to, to understand two levels up all the time. Mm. My task is this, but two levels up are this is the objective, two mm. levels up. Mm. So yeah, I understand why I'm doing the thing I'm doing. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and uh, the second is to don't be afraid to, to take away things when there's a problem instead of adding things. Ah, that was mine. <laughs> <laughs> that was mine. Take away stuff, make it easier. I think uh, perhaps I already related to this one, but you want to even talked about it. Sometimes when we have less time for planning and we have less res- uh, not enough resources to do things that's when we find the really good ideas how to solve things yeah. uh, and and we could really um, arrange that kind of planning in our organizations because sometimes we always ask how much time do you need and it's like okay i need six months to look yeah. at it okay you get two weeks because that will push something that will that will understand then what's important in this case. And the 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 fact is that the product I'm gonna deliver in two weeks or six months might might even it it doesn't have to be better if I have six months to prepare it. It might just be more complicated. Yeah. Not always. Some things need need a, a wider thought. Absolutely. But but there is something there. We sometimes want to make sure that everything is perfect, but that's not perfect. Push the time, and the, then we'll. We are uh, all problem solvers and solution based, mm. and we're always focusing on the the, the right solution. Mm. And I think we forget to to define the problem. Mm many times mm. and if you haven't def- defined the problem you will find a solution that this doesn't fit no. your problem it uh. fits somebody else's problem and uh, all, uh, according to the radios 
Uh, it's a saying in Sweden that you have tactical problems have tactical solutions and technical problems have technical solution. And mm. you can't have a tactical problem and solve it with a technical solution. That's a good last word because sometimes when it comes to valuation, etc., we we do have problems within our teams. And we try to solve that by reorganizing yeah. ourselves. Yeah. That's the wrong way of attacking it, right? Yeah. <laughs> That was a good last word. You agree, Craig? Yeah, that doesn't make it a last word if I agree <laughs> or disagree with it. But yeah, yeah, I think. Uh, Let's go for that one good, then. Good Thank you, guys, for sitting here discussing high and low topics and uh, listening to your experience from the military. I think uh, there is a lot of stuff here that could be transferred take this take the opportunity to reflect upon this uh, discussion and find whatever pieces you find interesting and just uh, yeah come back to us craig right if come there is any us. question any clarity that needs to be brought out or if you disagree with what we said we will be glad to discuss that later on as well absolutely uh, through linkedin but i think we're going to get up on the on the page a like a form, are we? Yes. Where people can contact us. Yes, there will be um, uh, uh, some kind of probably on Murphy Solution or something dot com or something like that. We will find a place to interact. We haven't solved that problem yet, but uh, LinkedIn works uh, well at the moment. So, and also, of course, if you want to get in contact with Yappe uh, here, it does a lot of interesting leadership training in the forest with a lot of CEOs and that's good <laughs> stuff really you just connect to Yep on LinkedIn as well of course, yeah, of course. What's, what's your company called Yep how do we find you Final Cut Final Cut yeah finalcut.se dot .se yeah or jesperberlin.se jesperberlin.se okay good that's about it then that's it until next time Thanks, and uh, have a wonderful weekend. Same. Thanks. Cheers. A wonderful weekend, though. Cheers, as you would say, or yeah. Cheers. Something like that. Bye.